Well, good morning again, and welcome again to St. Paul's. And if you're joining us online, a warm welcome to you as well. As I begin, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, bless us with the presence of your Spirit now that we might know your Son, Jesus, in whose name we ask this. Amen. This uh, whole place is built on the audacious assumption that Jesus is worth following. Worth following, taking seriously, even 2,000 years after he walked the earth, that he's not just one worthy example in history, but our teacher and somebody that we want to model our lives after. And maybe you are totally bought into that idea, if so, great. But others here are spiritually seeking or are skeptical about that proposition, and that's okay too, because your honest answers, honest questions deserve honest answers. So what's it mean to be a disciple, a student of Jesus? And today, wherever you're at on your spiritual walk, I want to encourage you with Jesus' own words, the words that we just heard read. Encourage you that living as a Christian, living as a student and a follower of Jesus is both possible, it is something you can actually do that will make a practical difference in the way you live and infinitely valuable. Living the way Jesus tells us to is the right thing to do and it's also good for you. It will bring peace and purpose to you and the people around you. Your living faith will bless your family, your friends, and your community. So what's it mean to live like Jesus says? That's the question we've been talking about for the last two weeks in our sermon series, The Mission of Jesus. We're in this section of scripture called the Sermon on the Plain because the author tells us that Jesus went down to a level place. And the Sermon on the Plain is important because it lays out Jesus' instructions to the people who want to be his students back then and this very morning. In last week's passage, there were two verses that are super important for understanding the passage that we heard today. And they're these. The first was the golden rule. If you were here last week, you would have heard it in the scripture reading. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And the second is what we might call the divine rule. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. In other words, be good the way God is good. And when you put these two together, you get the essence of Jesus' sermon on the plain, which is this. Treat others the way God has treated you. Love others the way God has loved you. That's the sermon on, a plane, on the plane in a nutshell, but of course it bears unpacking. What's it, what's it mean for our lives? Well, in today's passage, we see three distinct teachings of Jesus that show us how to put this into practice, what it means to treat others the way God treats us. We heard these three teachings in the passage that Dan read for us, and I'm going to sum them up like this. The first one is, give what you got, and you'll get what you give. The second is, secure your own mask before assisting others. And the third is, you can see your heart through your mouth. Let's take these in turn. I'd encourage you to follow along. It's Luke 6.37 and following. Feel free to use your phone or your pew Bible. In our first teaching, we're looking at Luke 6.37 to 38. And the gist of it is, give what you got and you'll get what you give. Take a look at the passage. What's Jesus say? He says, don't judge, don't condemn others, and you won't be judged or condemned by God. Forgive and give, and you'll be forgiven and given to, and not just given to, but richly given to by God. The measure you give, it's the measure you'll receive. Those who give generously will receive generously. 
When Jesus said this to his students, they had no idea what was coming, that he would die for their sins and be raised to new life. So they're to be forgiven for not understanding the fullness of his meaning. But we've got the benefit of hindsight, so we understand what Jesus is saying here. Don't judge and condemn, forgive and give. That's all what God has done for us in Jesus. The premise and the promise of the Christian life is that we've all done wrong, but God doesn't give us what we deserve. We haven't been condemned. We haven't been judged. We've been forgiven. We've been given the priceless gift of the Holy Spirit. So when we hear Jesus saying these things, we know that God has already made the first move. When we don't judge others, it's because God hasn't judged us. When we forgive others, it's because God has forgiven us. In other words, as Jesus' students, we are called to do for others what God has done first for us. And if we do, this is an important if, if we forgive as we've been forgiven, if we withhold judgment as judgment has been withheld from us, then we will continue to enjoy these blessings from God. And we'll continue to enjoy these blessings, it seems, from what Jesus says, in precisely the same measure that we offer them to others. If you give to others what you got from God, you will get from God what you have given to others. Now, this doesn't mean we earn our forgiveness by forgiving. We can't earn our salvation. It's all the free gift of God's grace. But if Jesus is to be believed, it seems that we only really enjoy God's forgiveness and God's gifts to the extent that we share what we've received. And this means that the best way to put this teaching into practice in your life is to meditate on what God has done for you in Jesus. Seriously, just think about it. The judgment and condemnation that God has withheld from you. The forgiveness and the blessings that God has bestowed on you. This happened to me recently. I was so annoyed at a very minor irritation. And my sinful mind just started churning out all the narratives about why the other person was so very bad and I was so very good. And then the Holy Spirit reminded me how I'd sinned against God. And here I was, a guy who'd been forgiven a trillion-dollar debt, sweating a five-dollar unpaid loan. And irritation just lifted off me, poof, just like that. The best way to cultivate generosity of spirit is gratitude, not guilt. Guilt just gets you stuck. Gratitude is the express train to generosity. Because the surplus of what God has given me is more than enough to cover what anyone else will do to me for the rest of my life. Won't God do it? That's the first teaching. Give what you got, you'll get what you give. Second teaching, Luke 6, 39 to 42. Secure your own mask before assisting others. Jesus illustrates this teaching with a couple of powerful metaphors. Can a blind person lead a blind person? Won't they both fall into a pit? In other words, you can't lead someone else if you can't see yourself. And he also says you're a hypocrite if you try to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye but don't notice the log that's in your own eye. Basically, don't correct your brother or sister for their minor faults while you're ignoring your own major vices. Deal with yourself first, and once you've got your own problems worked out, Jesus says, then you'll be able to help your neighbor. It's like the emergency instructions on an airplane. Secure your own mask before you try to help anybody else. And the point Jesus is making here is that you can't help anyone if you can't see clearly yourself. And he's recognizing that in any group, there's a temptation to rank yourself, like, am I better than this person, worse than this person? And that's here and present in church, too. 
But Jesus is saying, forget all that. God doesn't care how you rank against other people. The only standard God cares is how you rank against the master, your teacher. And this is, I think, the underappreciated main point of Christianity as a whole. That the entire work of the Christian life is to be more and more like Jesus. Elsewhere in Scripture, we read the point of teaching disciples so they can become mature in Christ. And again, elsewhere, Scripture says God calls people to be conformed to the image of His Son. The whole point of life, look like Jesus. And the way you do it is love God or love others like God has loved you. And if you take this seriously, it yields a deep, deep humility. If you read the Christian spiritual masters, they're all adamant on this one point, that their sins are so terrible, like according to them, they've got California redwoods in their own eyes. And for the longest time, I couldn't take this seriously because throughout history, these are living saints. They all say this, like their lives are perfect. But then I realized it was all a matter of perspective. If you've ever done any woodworking, you know it's a big deal to get the wood smooth. And when you've got a rough board, you use a planer or a coarse grit sandpaper to take off the most vicious splinters. And that's your life if you're living contrary to God. It's all spikes and slivers. If you're lying, cheating, stealing, sleeping around, gossiping, angry, whatever. And repentance means grinding that down, eliminating the big problems from your life. But the paradox of Christian maturity is this. The deeper you get in the Christian life, the smoother your board will get. Those big sins get sanded away. But the smoother your board gets, the bigger the tiny imperfections seem to you. If you get your board as smooth and soft as paper, and you know how satisfying that is, if you get your board as smooth and soft as paper, the tiniest flaw is going to feel like the Grand Canyon to you. And that's why the work of the Christian life is never done, because the closer you get to Jesus, the bigger the differences between you and Jesus will seem. If you've been walking with Jesus for decades, you left the major sins behind, the the little sins that remain will seem bigger to you than anything that your neighbor is doing. If I'm mature in Christ, the smallest movement of anger in my heart is going to appear larger to me than the fact that my neighbor is a murderer. If I'm mature in Christ, the smallest movement of lust in my heart is going to appear bigger to me than the fact that my neighbor is having an affair. The blind can't lead the blind. Got a log in your eye. You can't see to get a speck out of your friends. This is a parable about seeing clearly. And what Jesus is saying is to see clearly ourselves and others leads to a deeper and deeper humility because we see our own flaws without excuse and we become more generous to those around us. Secure your own mask. Third teaching, Luke 6, verses 43 to 45. You can see your heart through your mouth. Basically, Jesus is saying, if you're good, the good treasure of your heart will produce good. It'll do good things. And if you're bad, then your heart will produce bad things. And the teaching is simple but challenging. You know how when you go to the doctor for a sore throat, uh, you open your mouth and you say, ah, and they can see your tonsils? The spiritual life is like that, except every time you speak, you can see all the way down to your heart. Your mouth is the overflow valve for your heart, and whatever is in your heart, good or bad, is going to pour out between your lips. You can see your heart through your mouth. Now remember that Jesus has been going on and on about how we should do good things. Love our enemies, don't judge, all that. But here he's saying you can't do good things unless you're good on the inside. And what this means is that there has to be alignment between our interior and exterior lives. You're driving on the 401, you see all these cars, right? That's what it seems like. You're seeing all these cars racing along. Actually, you're seeing engines that are driving that are covered by shells. 
that are the outward manifestation. It's like that with life. We move through the world doing good and bad things, but whatever we're doing with our lives is just a visible manifestation of what's happening in our heart. Because our hearts are where we love and hate and lust and loathe. And what Jesus is saying at the end of the Sermon on the Plain, at the end of the sermon where he says, here's what it means to be my disciple, he says, tend to your heart. And if you leave here with one thing, let it be this. Far too many people and churches treat the Christian life as behavior management, but it is not. The Christian life is a heart transplant. Jesus is telling his would-be disciples that following him means looking like him and acting like him, but you can't look and act like him just by imitating what he does. You've got to have the same heart that he does because it all comes from the inside. So how do I do that? Well, the most important thing to know is that you can't, not without God. Nobody can perform heart transplant surgery on themselves. Christianity is not a self-improvement program. It is a God improvement program. And here's the Christian life in a nutshell. I've devised a helpful mnemonic to help you remember it. It goes like this, Ertaic. Recognize that we are powerless to make ourselves good. That's the R in Ertaic. So ridiculous. Recognize that we are powerless to make ourselves good. Turn from what our hearts say to what God's word says. Accept God's open offer of transformation. Invite the Holy Spirit to direct and renew our lives. And then for the rest of our lives, cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And this is not clean. This is not easy. It's not consistent. But it is possible. It's precisely what our rhythm of life is all about. Five practices that structure our lives that incline us in a way to be more and more open to cooperate with the Holy Spirit's transforming work. And here's the thing, if you do this, it's going to change your life. It will definitely prepare you for crises, you know, the doctor calling with the test results or the boss calling you to give you the two weeks notice or the teacher telling you that you're failing out. But living like Jesus isn't just crisis insurance, faith for when life gets too hard. Faith is for when life is good. Faith makes life deeper and richer, a life that lines up inside and out with what you say you believe and what you desperately want to believe. And if you live this life, when the crisis hits and you turn to prayer, you will be talking to an old, familiar friend. It's a life where when you die, the good things they say about you will actually line up with what was going on inside. Because you were a good tree, bearing good fruit, in humility, giving, and forgiving, standing in judgment of no other. Because you gave to others what God had given to you. We're going to close in prayer. And the prayer is this. Holy Spirit, make me good. Don't pray it if you don't want it. But if you do want it, ask with your whole heart. Because God is listening. Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit upon us. We ask, come, holy fire. Come and purify our hearts that we might grow and grow in the love of you and of our neighbor and throne the Holy Spirit on our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit, and make us good. Amen.